Okay, so we've been studying Galatians, the book of Galatians, which is Paul's masterwork on the freedom that we have in Christ. And up to now, Dan and Eric have been talking through Galatians, and you'll notice the same theme keeps coming up, the freedom that we have by faith in God's goodness, the freedom that we have by the power of God's promise, the freedom that we have by being adopted into God's family, the freedom that we have by knowing the truth. That's kind of the theme of of Galatians all the way through, over and over and over again. And there's one thing we need to really get a grasp on because we don't want to fall into the habit of thinking that the law of Moses is the villain of the piece. It's not. Remember, the law of God can be compressed into love God, love people. There can't be any evil in that. The law of God is good and beautiful. It shows us God's character. And it shows us our utter need for God to save us from ourselves. All our efforts to save ourselves by human reason, human understanding, and human effort are useless. They're even dangerous when they wind up leading us farther away from God and farther into our own rules. That's what makes the law push people away from God, even though it's beautiful and good and wonderful to look at. So Paul keeps pounding that same nail in Galatians over and over and over. Now, what do we know about the Bible? When, when the Bible repeats something, what does that mean? Anybody? It's important. You know, it's kind of like repeating something over and over to a toddler. <laughs> you need to get this. Okay, so let's look at the scripture that we're working on today. It's chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Paul's going to pound that nail again. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I can feel the tension in the air. It's okay, we're going to sort through this. God is going to be good. An interesting thing that I 
began to realize as I was working on this is that God's, the difference between and the tension between God's promise and human effort, human will, human understanding, that struggle was going on long before the Galatians started wrestling with it after Jesus. There's two ways of living before God. We can either love God and believe what he says, or we can rely on human understanding and human effort. That struggle between believing God and loving God or relying on our own understanding and effort has been going on since Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the whole story of Jacob. It's been that same tension over and over, pounding that same nail. We get to Abraham and Sarah and the promise that God made to them, their response to the God's promise. And we learn about the freedom that comes when we trust God. We also learn about the slavery that comes when we rely on human understanding and human effort. Just to recap real quickly, the story of Hagar was the slave woman of Abraham and Sarah. And when God promised Sarah that she would have she would have a son and they waited and the son didn't happen in nine months. They decided, okay, we need to give God something to work with here. We'll get the slave woman. We'll bear a son through her. That'll be our son that God promised. So they did. Hagar had a son. That was Ishmael. Ishmael turned out to be kind of a bully. And after about 13 years or so, all of a sudden out of the blue, here comes Isaac. For no reason, Sarah turns up pregnant and there is the prom- promised son. It was absurd to think that Sarah, 99-year-old, dried-up woman who never had a kid even when she was a kid having a- ages, and Abraham, even older, it's absurd that they're going to have a child. So it was perfectly reasonable and understandable and useful that they would have a son through Hagar because that's how you can have a son. So I'm going to go back to the scripture here. It says, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Israel, I mean, Ishmael is the product of impatience and humans trying to do God's work for him. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai. What's Mount Sinai? That's where Moses got the law. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. Okay? Here's poor Ishmael. Uh, I know it's illegal, Johnny, but I'm going to move this. (laughs) Because I'm going to be doing this a lot today. Okay. So I have here Ishmael, poor kid, poor Ishmael in his chains, born into slavery, not his fault, by the way. And the reason he's born into slavery is because he is born out of human understanding and human effort. This is a brain. Yes, it is. That's his legacy human effort, human understanding. 
Okay. Let's look at the law from Mount Sinai. God is beautiful and good. God's law is beautiful and good. Love God, love people. It's beautiful and good. We all want it. Here. That was the short version. That's the, that's the um, abbreviated version. This here is the extended version, annotated, fully expanded, study notes, maps, illustrations. Oh, sorry, kid. Starting to feel for him a little bit? Yeah, we want to be good and beautiful, but we can't. But we can try real hard by making beauty and goodness into a bunch of rules to keep. One of the rules is that God will only love you if you keep the rules, but you can't. But you have to. So in a way, you wind up needing the law to sort of protect you from God, which is no longer good nor beautiful. You starting to feel for this kid? Yeah. What is the present city of Jerusalem that Paul's talking about? Well, it's the institution of keeping the rules. It's the weight behind that heavy, heavy book. It's the Judaizers. Remember, the Judaizers are Christians. They're Christian Jews. They know about Jesus. They're just afraid to let go of that book. not his fault he was born into slavery. Now, is your heart pounding a little bit? Are you kind of feeling the awkwardness of this whole slavery thing? All right. This is just a tiny little taste, the awkwardness that we're feeling, of the outrage that Paul is feeling as he's trying to convince these Galatians and us that this is wrong. This is freaking slavery. Okay, so let yourself sink into that outrage. It's outrageous. Back to the verse. Abraham's son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Here's Isaac. Comfortable little child and his divine promise. He feels okay, right? So what is the promise? Remember back, back in the back, back days when God gave Abraham a promise. He said, I'm going to give you land, a good place to live where everything you need will be met for you. And I'm going to give you a miraculous son by Sarah. And through your miraculous son... I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And when the Bible says many nations, that's code for the world. Okay? I'm going to bless you and your seed so that the whole world will be blessed. Okay? You're starting to sound familiar here, right? All right. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. And remember, Hagar had slave parents too. Slavery gets handed down from parents to children over and over and over, just like Christmas traditions or whatever you have. 
But, Paul says, the Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. So what is the Jerusalem above? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's Jerusalem fulfilled in her glory, doing what God actually calls her to do and living in the promise. Jerusalem above is people made free from sin by a miracle of God. Miracle. People loving God and loving each other. It's the city set on a hill giving light to the whole world. Now, this stuff obviously cannot be done by human effort, right? Are we in agreement on that? Been trying several million millennia or whatevers. It has to be done by the Spirit of God, which we have right here. Give me a moment. He's accomplished by the Spirit of God. Paul goes on, quoting scripture. He says, Be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of she who was married. See, what's happening in Galatia, and ever since then, is that God continues to add more and more children to his miraculous family by the power of the Holy Spirit and his adoption. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit has way more kids than the prison of the law misunderstood, expanded, fully annotated, and illustrated. Making sense? Sounding familiar? All right. Here's the thing, though. Why does Paul have to keep pounding this nail? Why does the whole Bible have to keep pounding this nail? Apparently, there's something very attractive about being a slave. Hard to believe, but in a way, in our flesh, we kind of all sort of lean that way, at least sometimes. And I'm sure you've all heard stories about people being released from prison who've been there for most of their lives been in prison, they were told when to eat, what to eat, when to go to the bathroom, where to go to the bathroom, who to hang out with, which exercises they could do, which room, you know, and everything was the law. And suddenly, they get free. They're paroled, or they've served their sentence, or whatever, and they wind up in the outside in the free world. What happens very frequently? They can't hack it. They don't know how to be free. And they wind up doing some kind of something so that they can be back in jail and have everything cut and dried and structured and know exactly what they're going to do and what's going to happen next. There is a sick, weird, disease kind of okayness to that. We kind of like that. You can remember being six or seven years old on the playground at school. The rules were like, you can't change the rules, Calvin. These are the rules. Right? Remember that? We kind of like the rules. Slavery is simple. You just obey the rules, you get fed, and you avoid punishment. Bing, bang, boom. Simple. 
And if I'm bound by the rules, then so is God. I can make God love me with those rules, I tell myself. If I've got rules to lean on, I'm not vulnerable to God or to my neighbor and their craziness. I don't have to do the risky, messy, difficult stuff of trying to love or trust God. Another reason we tend to slide back into slavery is because we believe the lies that Satan tells us about God's character, what God's like, who God is. Think about Luke 15 and the parable of the lost sons. We're studying it right now in Summit Group. One son believes that his father is a killjoy, so he takes everything that's his and runs off to Vegas and lives high away from his father and his father's rules. The other son believes that his father is a slave driver, so he stays home and does the rules. Neither son has any clue to his father's actual character. You can sense their jaws kind of falling on the dust when the father says, all that I have is yours. Hello, you're my sons. They don't get it. We believe lies that Satan tells us about us. Things that you learned when you were a little kid. You're in trouble. You better hide. You better do something. You better fix it. You're bad. You have to be good and you have to perform. You got to get good grades. You got to have good manners. You got to sit up straight. You got to say you're sorry. You got to be nice in order to be loved and accepted and safe. We learned that stuff when we were teeny tiny. And it kind of makes sense socially. I mean, we are fleshly animals. We do have to have some guidance as to how to live together. But we believe it the way Satan tells it, which is that that's all there is. You've got to shape up in order to be loved or accepted or safe. We believe the lies that Satan tells us about Jesus' death and resurrection. Satan would have us to believe that some guy that died 2,000 years ago, one among many, many, many people the Romans tortured to death and claimed to have risen from the dead, that can't possibly really impact that. Satan would have us believe that Jesus doesn't really, really have that kind of power. We can skip him. So that's why we keep sliding back down the slope into slavery. It's comfortable, it makes sense, and it's familiar. So what must we do? We've got to do something. We can't live like that. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At the time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's the same way now. Yes, it is. gotta get these free kids caught in the law somehow and drag them over here 
got to handle that freedom. Think about this. Ishmael caused nothing but trouble in the family. But there's a reason for that. Imagine that you have been the only son for 13 years. You're 13. You're almost a man. Things are just about to come to a head. All your life you've been told that you're the son of promise. You're the one that God promised. You're so special. And now all of a sudden, right at that moment, this miracle kid shows up. This kid who actually is a miracle No denying it, no manipulating, no arranging, no nothing. He's a freaking miracle. Not you. How do you feel about that? I'm going to let you cook in that for a minute. How does your mother feel about that? She who had been a slave and was almost special. That's why the Judaizers are so frantic about trying to get these new miraculous Christians to toe the line with the law. They're scared to death. And they're jealous to death. They've got to manage this thing somehow. What are we supposed to do? Paul says, the scripture says, Cast out the slave and her child. This is a call to expel the offending Judaizer teachers from the congregation. We have to reject their fear and their jealousy. Got to reject it. And it's, sometimes it's hard to do because, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool hook. You kind of almost want it, right? Got to reject it. Because we cannot live in freedom while we're relying on human effort and human understanding to control our relationship with God. You just can't do it. The promise doesn't go with the brain. They don't go together. And I don't mean intelligence. I mean the human fleshy, I can, I can fix this, I can handle this. So how are we feeling now? Kind of feeling sorry for the <laughs> It's really getting kind of sucky over there, isn't it? Yeah. However, God is never out of good news because at any moment, at any time, for any reason, the Judaizers those bound in the law, those heavily burdened and overwhelmed can also receive the Holy Spirit and believe in Jesus and be freed from their chains. This does happen. It takes a little while. We have to get used to being in the Spirit Right? But God doesn't give up, so I'm not going to give up. At any time, a person in slavery can leave it and be a miracle, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can, dear. Hold on. Any of us ever drop our wings from time to time? 
So Paul tells the congregation to get rid of the teaching of the Judaizers. We also have to do this on an individual basis, not just congregation-wide, not just church-wide, but our own selves individually as we feel the pull to slide back into slavery. There's a lot of ways to do that. I really like one that Dan wrote in an article a little while ago, and he was talking about the difference between tithing and giving. And he wrote an article telling us to not tithe. I just wanted to quote a a little paragraph from the end of his article because it's a really clear picture of moving from the law to the miracle. Dan says, One of the most clear instructions on giving shared in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes, Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is what it looks like under the covenant of grace. Joy and not obligation. Generosity, not tithing. No one is required to give. And anything that you do give must come from joy. That's what it's like to live in freedom. Father, we sometimes struggle so hard to shake the stupid things we believe about you. We struggle to let go of our longing to just have some rules to obey so we can feel okay about ourselves and our relationship with you. We struggle with believing that your blood could really have the power to fix our hearts. We forget that you yourself have come to live within us. Even so, Father, we do believe. We do. Help our unbelief. Amen.